Well, good morning, y'all. Good morning. <clears throat> it's an awesome day. Worship was in uh, the musical. Wor- it's all worship, but the musical worship was uh, was off the chains. Um, so thankful that you're here. There are lots of places that you could be today. Apparently, the beach is a place that you could be today. We had graduation this week, and lots of folks had uh, had kids that graduated. Um, and that's a big celebration. And so we had a few of them up on the stage last week, and we're thankful for, for, uh, for those folks as well. My name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff uh, at Church on the Trail. And again, I'm so thankful that we're here. I think the Lord has got us all together for a reason. I think he's got a special message for us today. You know, we, we live in a, in, in a world and all you got to do is just walk out in the world, go wherever you go during the day, flip the TV on, watch the news, don't care what station, what Fox, CNN, news, I don't care. Just look and observe what is going on out in the world. And I think what you're going to see is it seems like this world is at war with God. It seems like this world is at war with God and his standards. There's, there's uh, animosity towards him. There's animosity towards uh, his people. There's animosity towards the Christian faith. Last year in India on the heels of some anti, they call them anti-conversion laws, a mob comes into a church in India, attacks the pastors, attacks the leaders, punches and kicks them in the head, throws a, a bunch of women on the ground, abuses these women. The police are called, the police come in, and they arrest the pastors and the leaders. Last November in Finland, two folks, one was a legislator and one was a a pastor, they were charged with hate speech and are in jail for writing and publishing a book that that lays out the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. Y'all, in the last 40 years, over 65 million babies in the United States have been murdered in the womb. 22% of pregnancies end in abortion. Of quote, unwanted pregnancies, 40% end in abortion. Y'all, the, this, this war on life is a war on what God just holds so sacred. You know, we have, you notice these bottles out there in the foyer. And I, I think we've given away about, a, uh, we've had about 100 people take them so far. But this is called Baby Bottle Boomerang. And you take it home, your family fills it up with chains. When it gets full, you bring it back in and get another one. You don't just fill one up, you fill as many as you can up. We're going to collect them all uh, on Father's Day. We do this between Mother's Day and Father's Day. And it is a raising money for Sound Choices Pregnancy Clinic which is a clinic in Columbus. It's a pregnancy. It's just what the the name of it says. It's a pregnancy clinic. But it's a pregnancy clinic that is Jesus-focused, gospel-centric. Every every woman that walks through the door of of Sound Choices hears the gospel. Shared thousand times a year. It is a a gospel-centric, loving-on-folks pregnancy clinic. And so so that's one of the, 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 the manners in which Sound Choices raises money, $100,000 last year, a little over $100,000. It's an incredible ministry. It's a ministry that was birthed um, 30 years or so ago by Edgewood Baptist Church. 
And it's an incredible ministry, I encourage you. And they all the time need volunteers, advocates for the, for the women that are in there. There's a, there's a program now for the, for the men, that the men can be mentored and, and counseled and poured into as well. So I encourage you to grab one of those bottles or two or three, get them filled up and bring them back. But y'all, there is a war that is being waged on, on God and everything that he holds sacred. It's a pastor in China in the, uh, in the Young Yang County Central House Church. He's in the middle of serving a six-year sentence after protesting the government's attempts to remove the cross from the top of his church in 2019. Y'all, every day in the world, every single day, 13 Christians are murdered for their faith. I could sit up here for an hour and a half and just go on and on and on and on. And, but I, and I believe that the, the hostility of our own nation towards Christianity is just now beginning to really escalate. And you know, as the evil and the perverse people in our culture, as they realize that there are fewer and fewer cultural restraints and less and less Christian influence in the culture itself, that's going to get ramped up and it's going to get more aggressive. And they'll run over anybody who stands in the way of of, of, or questions the right or wrongness of what they do. And as a result, there'll be an escalating hostility against Christians who stand firm. The hostility doesn't seem to be going down. It seems to be going up. Let me pray. Lord, we love you today. We love you and you, we, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are exactly who you say you are and that you can do exactly what you say you can do. And Lord, we pray for the, for the strength that you can provide for us to stand firm in a culture that seems to hate you. Lord, let us be your mouthpiece in the world. Lord, let us be a mouthpiece for those who struggle to defend themselves. Lord, just indwell us and, and with your Holy Spirit and lead us and guide us. And give us your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So y'all, as I was studying this week, and I realized there's a few, maybe several different places that I could go and head this morning in Acts chapter 12. That's where we are. We're walking through the book of Acts and we come to chapter 12. And in chapter 12, we could talk about prayer. Prayer is a huge theme in Acts 12. Huge theme. And we need to be, as a church body, praying and we could have a great conversation this morning about prayer. We could talk about persecution. We see persecution of the saints going on in Acts 12, dying for our faith. We see that in Acts 12, and we're going to get to that in a minute. We could talk about angels and the role that angels play in the kingdom. But you know, I, and there's lots of places that I could go, and, and, but I felt led, and I struggle with that because I would want to sit up here for three hours and go through every single theme in the chapter, but, uh, but, but I felt very led, I guess, early in the week. And maybe it's, maybe it's just who I am. It's the way that I see things. It's the way that I see, um, like I look through this prism of my own personal Jesus story. I, I don't know. You know, maybe it's all of that, but I felt really led on Monday to, to talk about El Shaddai. 
El Shaddai, God Almighty. The God that, that just breathed and split the Red Sea so Israel could walk through it and then closed it right back up to take care of the Egyptians. The, the God that holds everything and everyone that has ever or will ever live just holds all of us in the palm of his hand. In particular, I want to talk about today the foolishness of fighting God. That's the name of our message, the foolishness of fighting God. And people have done that since the very beginning. And it's been dumb and it's been foolhardy and it's failed every time since the very beginning. God has created y'all a, a, a universe that displays his majesty and his creativity and his, his justness. Simply put, his, 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 his nature and the universe are built on his word, on his laws. And I was thinking this, this week just really how, how dumb we must be to fight him. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 20, uh, 21, said there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can, can, that can succeed against the Lord. The chronicler in 2 Chronicles in chapter 13, he said, O sons of Israel, don't fight against the Lord. The God of your fathers, you cannot succeed. But forever, y'all, we clench our fist and we raise our voice and we, we grit our teeth and we fight with him. It makes no sense. And we all do it. God had a standard. And Eve decided to fight it. And Adam jumped on the wagon and all of us are cursed. God had a standard for sacrifice. And Abel obeyed it and Cain fought it and wound up cursed. God had a had a standard for morality, and Noah kept it, and the rest of the world fought it and drowned. God had a standard for spiritual purity. Jacob bought it, and Esau fought it and lost the blessing. Y'all, you fight God, and you lose. You fight God, and you lose. Second Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 35. Just listen to this. And we're going to jump back to verse 22 in a second. But verse 35, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. 185,000 were smittened by the angel of the Lord. That's a new word. I don't think I've said that one before. Smittened by the, by the angel of the Lord. And when the people arose in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, who was the king of Assyria, departed and went home and he lived at Nineveh and as he was worshiping in the house of Nicrot, uh, uh, Nisroch his god Adramelech and Sherezer his sons this is Sennacherib's sons Adramelech and Sherezer they struck him down with a sword so all of these 185,000 people they died the king himself died why back up to verse 22 a very important statement. Very important statement. It says, whom have you mocked and reviled? And he's talking to Sennacherib. Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? He says, me, against the Holy One of Israel. He fought against God and he lost. Y'all, it can't be done. So in Acts chapter 12, we're introduced to another God-hater. From a family, from a line, a long line 
of God-haters. And his name's Herod Agrippa I. King Herod Agrippa I. So verse 1 of chapter 12. says, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. So about what time? About the time of this famine we saw last week in chapter 11. It was around 44 AD. And honestly, it could have really been construed as a very political move for Herod because their family, all they cared about, the, 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 the Herods, uh, him and his father and his grandfather, it was all about themselves. Could have been a very political move and not even so much an, an anti-Christian one because I don't really think that, that Herod particularly cared about Christianity. He really didn't care particularly about anything other than himself and his wealth and his power and his influence. The best that we can tell by, by reading about uh, Agrippa, that he was just like all the rest of them. The one thing that they cared about was their own power. So I believe that he, he set out to persecute Christians because he knew that the Jews hated him. And he thought that this was one way to get on the good side of the Jews to, to kind of keep some peace. Verse 2 says he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. So this James that he's talking about here is James, uh, one of the sons of Zebedee, brother of John. He's the first apostle that is murdered. And he was executed by the sword, the text says, which means that his head was cut off. Verse 3 says, and when he saw that it, uh, saw that, it pleased the Jews. When Herod saw that, that cutting James's head off appeased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So he kills James and he moves up the ladder to the big guy, to Peter. Now you think about the political clout that Herod could gain by taking Peter out of the equation. Peter, the most powerful preacher. Peter, the most dynamic of the apostles. Verse 4 says, and when he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Herod planned on killing Peter right after the Passover. He's going to bring him out of jail and kill him right after that. But my goodness, how many people does it take? How many guards does it take to guard Peter? Four squads is 16 men. 16 men devoted to guarding Peter. So Peter was kept in prison, verse 5, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. That's where we could go down this long, the whole message could be about the prayer of that body for Peter. But this power-hungry, self-focused, conceited, self-interested Herod is going to fight against God by destroying who was the leader of the, of the movement at the time, Peter. So monarchs, kings, prime ministers, leaders, political leaders, presidents, through history, then and through history, right down to today, they seem to be dedicated to fighting God. And I believe that it is all part of the influence of the deceiver that somehow engulfs the leader, engulfs the prime minister, engulfs the president, engulfs a king, and then engulfs the people of the culture, and then engulfs the nation, just as it will ultimately the Antichrist. And you remember talking about the gospel, talking about the Christ followers, talking about the apostles and the movement in Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel, who was a rabbi, who was a member of the Sanhedrin, 
who uh, Paul was, was one of his disciples. Gamaliel said this in Acts chapter 5, talking about Jesus and the gospel. He says now, verse 38, he says, And now I say to you, keep away from these men. He's telling the Sanhedrin to keep away from these men. What men? The, the, the Christ followers. Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if, if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it. And here's the kicker. He says, lest you even be found to fight against God. You cannot fight against God. And I think Acts chapter 12 gives us at least three, maybe more, simple reasons why we are nincompoops if we fight God. Absolute fools. We got two or three or four or 5,000 years of history to look back on. The first reason is this. His power cannot be thwarted. I love that word. Say thwarted. One, two, three. Thwarted. I mess it up. But his power can't be opposed. It can't be overturned. It can't be contested. Just look at Peter's imprisonment. Herod, and we'll see this in a minute. Herod puts him in jail. God got him out. The whole message could be wrapped up in Herod put him in jail. God got him out. Look at verse 5 again. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So the church, the body, gets on its knees, gets prostrate, prostrate before the Lord, and prays, fervently prays for Peter. That word earnest in the New Testament, that word that's translated earnest, it, it really means intense prayer, continual prayer. They prayed without ceasing for hours and hours and hours and hours. James, the Lord's brother, in his letter in James Chapter 5 says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it works. Y'all pray. Your prayer makes a difference. And even while the church was praying, God is moving the chess pieces around and he's doing that thing that he does. Verse 6 says, now when Herod was about to bring him out, bring Peter out of jail, on that very night, Peter was sleeping. He's about to get his head cut off. And he's sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. So this is the night that Peter was going to be drug out with some, some fake trial, get his head cut off just like James. And y'all, I think it's cool that Luke, who wrote Acts, Luke makes it a point to let us know that when he's about to get his head cut off, what, what is he doing? He's sleeping. And apparently, you'll see in a minute, he's sound asleep. He's slobber asleep. Anybody ever been slobber asleep? I used to do it in school on my desk until the teacher popped the bottom of the desk with a ruler. Peter is slobber asleep. He's not laying on the floor staring at the ceiling in anxiety, freaking out about all this stuff. He's not. Why? Why? Paul writes about this later in Philippians. I believe that Peter had in his mind to live as Christ, to die as gain. To live, to, to, to live as Christ, to die as gain. He knows that, Peter knows that the very worst thing that could possibly happen in this life is to physically die. But if that happened, he would be with his best friend and the Lord Jesus for eternity. Verse 7 says, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. And a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up, boy. No, it doesn't say that. It says, Get up quickly. 
and the chains fell off his hands. There's a little sarcasm, y'all, in this. Peter is so asleep that the angels got to pop him to get him up. Oh, sleepyhead Peter. Verse 8 says, And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. So Peter is like in this fog. He's very much in this fog. He doesn't know which way is up. Is this real or is it not real? Like what in the world is going on? Verse 10. When they, this is the angel and Peter, when they had passed the first and second guard, they got past them. Bible doesn't tell us how, just that they got past them. They came to the iron gate leading into the city and it opened for them. Peter doesn't even open the gate. Angel doesn't open the gate. Bible says that the Lord opened the gate. It says it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left. So poof, angel's gone. So all of Herod's power, all of Herod's power was nothing to God. He just busted open that gate just with the breath of his, uh, of his mouth. He shattered the shackles that were on Peter, snapped his finger. Herod Schmerid. Can't you hear God saying that? Herod Schmerid. He ain't nothing. He is nothing. When the Lord has got your back, y'all, whoever or whatever it is, and I don't care who it is and I don't care what it is, whatever it is that comes against you is nothing. Nothing. When you say yes to the Lord and he is holding you in the palm of his hand and he has got your back, anything or anybody that comes again, they're nothing. They're nothing. So now the angel's gone. Now Peter's alone. Verse 11 says, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. What were the Jewish people expecting? They were expecting Herod's soldiers to drag Peter out and cut his head off. That's what they were expecting. And so I love this. It is like, like, like Peter's by himself, and he's sitting there thinking. He's shaking his head, and he's thinking, okay, okay, what just happened? Shaking the cobwebs out of his head. All right, shackles are gone. Guards are gone. Prison, not in there anymore. Gate opened by itself, the gate opened. Okay, God did all this. I get it now. It's like a Christmas miracle. Verse 12. When he realized this, Peter, when Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. This is John Mark. Where many were gathered together and praying. So, so this is her place, John Mark's mama's place, was apparently a place where the Jerusalem church met often. It's where the body came together often. And so Peter knew, he just knew that a lot of people would be there. Verse 13, and when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. So Peter's trying to get to a safe place. He busted out of jail and he's trying to get to a safe place. A place with friends and family and brothers and sisters in Christ. And they, and they were in there. And scripture tells us there had been nonstop praying and Rhoda comes to the door. Now, this is not a door on a house like you would imagine. It's a door on a street. And you open that door and there's a long, like, gateway into the door to the, to the house. 
And so Rhoda comes out there. Peter's trying to get off the street, get in a safe place. So Rhoda comes out there, and what does she not do? Look at verse 14. Don't look ahead. She recognized Peter's voice. And in her joy, like she's overcome with joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Think about that scene. Peter is like, let me in. Oh my gosh, that's Peter's voice. And then she runs and doesn't open the gate. She was so excited, she forgot to let him in. So he's standing still in the street, and he doesn't know what's going on, and she's so thrilled. Why is she so thrilled and so excited? Y'all answered prayer. Answered prayer. They'd been all night praying. And so Rhoda's like, y'all, she runs back down there, y'all. I don't know if she said y'all or not, but she said, y'all, God answered our prayers. It's Peter's out there. He's really out there. I know he was in jail, but we've been praying and God actually answered it. And Peter is out there. Verse 15 said that they said to her, you out your mind. You're out your mind. That ain't Peter. That's his angel. Like what? No, no, no. It's Peter. He's out there. I heard his voice. No, they all tell him that, tell her that, that she's out of her mind. So how strong was their faith? They just made up some craziness about his angel. I don't even know what that is, what that even means. Verse 16, what does Peter do? What would you do? Keep knocking. Peter's like, hello. <laughs> like the Lord got me out of prison and I'm trying to get in there. He's knocking and knocking and knocking. And when they finally, they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers, and then he departed and went to another place. Now, this James is the Lord's brother, James. The Lord's brother, James, who's the head of the Jerusalem church. So Peter says all this stuff, he tells them what all happened. He said, go tell James and all the brothers. Can you imagine y'all being a, being a fly on the wall and hearing Peter tell this story? What an incredible testimony. There's persecution. There's folks hating. James gets his head cut off just bad stuff and then here comes Peter who had been about to get his head taken off and here he comes with this jailbreak story and in the midst of all of this I think all these people that are there when Peter tells this story they learn that God delivers his own that God is more powerful than Herod and all of his walls and all of his prisons and all of his palaces, and all of his wealth, and all of his money, and all of his gold, all of his gates, and all of his chains, and all of his guards, all of that is nothing to God. It's nothing. God rules over all of that. Whatever Herod had, it's because God allowed him to have it. And so they, they were told to report what had happened to James. Y'all, I think we need to be reminded that no prison, figurative prison, literal prison, no prison can hold a servant of God whom God wants free. And do you know he wants you free? He wants you free. I don't care if it's a prison of addiction, the prison of, of depression, the prison of anxiety, whatever it is, 
Whatever it is, the prison of a relationship that's going sour, God wants you free. He wants you free. And that cannot, those shackles, they're nothing to God. He just thump them right off. Y'all read a story about a, about a Christian missionary in India. His name was Sundar Singh. Say Sundar Singh. One, two, three. Sundar Singh. It's a cool name. The chief lama had him thrown into a deep well. It's a true story. Where other Christians had been thrown. The lid was closed and the lid was secured with a, with a keyed lock. And, and Sundar was left there to die like many others before him. And he was, he was on top of bones and rotting flesh down in the bottom of this well. And so he's left there to die for his faith. Been there for three days. On the third night, he'd been, he'd been crying out to God in prayer the entire time. And he heard on the third night, he heard the lid above him unlocking. And a voice came down to him and said to take a hold of a rope that, that had been lowered down. And at the rope had a loop down at the bottom of it that he could put his foot in, but he had broken his arm on the fall when they threw him in the pit. He had broken his arm. So he's holding on to the rope with one arm, and he's got his foot in that little loop as they, as they pull him up. And when he gets up, the lid is replaced. The lid is, is uh, locked back. And this is what this guy wrote. Sundar wrote this. He said, when I looked around, I couldn't find anybody to thank because nobody was there. Well, morning comes, and he returns to the, to the city where he had been arrested, and he starts preaching again. And word got to the llama that he was preaching again, and that guy was like, there's no way, because the key to the lock was still on his belt. The only key to the lock was still on his belt. Y'all, no prison can hold the servant of God whom God wants free. He wants you free. Whatever it is freedom from. There is liberty in Christ. If you hear nothing else I say today, write it down. There is liberty in Christ. True, authentic freedom. Not freedom to sin. Freedom to not sin. Does that make sense? That's real liberty in Christ. Y'all, verse 18. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So the soldiers wake up. Peter's nowhere to be found, and they knew exactly what that meant. You know what that meant? That meant that their heads are coming off. And, and, and they did. And then Herod moseys on down to Caesarea to lick his wounds and whine. And so this, this lesson in these first verses is clear. It's the same story throughout all of Scripture and throughout all of history. Only a fool fights God because his power cannot be thwarted. No man is any match for him. No Satan-inspired, Satan-possessed man is any match for the Lord. And then number two is this, that God's punishment cannot be avoided. You will not avoid his punishment. Number one, fight God, you lose. Number two, his punishment can't be avoided. Verse 20. And I want to preface verse 20 with this. Herod should have stopped there. When all this stuff happened, angel gets Peter out. Herod should have stopped there. But Herod deified himself. Herod thought the rule, those, 
that what makes sense makes sense for everybody but me because I am the king. He should have realized that you cannot fight the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he didn't. So he goes down to Caesarea. Bible says, now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. The people came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. So these cities were not really under Herod's jurisdiction. They were a little further north, but they were big time dependent on, on Herod for their food during the time of this famine. And Herod was so done with them. They had exasperated him, totally exasperated him. And so he just cut them off, and they were hurting. So they made nicey-nice with this dude named Blastus, who is the king's chamberlain, which means he's like, he oversees the wealth of the king. He oversees his money. He takes care of all of, the, all of that stuff. Maybe they bribed this guy, I don't know. But they wanted and needed to appease Herod, and they would do anything, virtually anything, to get him some food. Verse 21, on an appointed day, and it doesn't matter what the appointed day was. It was a celebration. It was really a two-day thing. But it says, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. The voice of a God and not of a man. So all these people are kissing up to Herod, telling him that he is a God. You're a God, Herod. This is the voice of a God. And instead of refusing the worship and refusing the glory and refusing the praise, instead of giving the glory to God alone, he accepts all of that. He's probably wallowing in all of that. And by doing that, y'all, he's robbing God of what is God's only. He's robbing God of God's glory. He is declaring war on God is what Herod is doing. Verse 23 says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. And so all the hoopla and all the cheering and all of the, the voice of a God, you're a God, we bow down to you and we praise you. All of that stuff with a snap of a finger just stops. Herod collapses according to the historian Josephus. Anybody ever heard of Josephus? Not a biblical writer. Josephus wrote a book called The History of the Jews. Um, and he was a historian, a, a secular sort of historian. Josephus wrote a lot about this incident, this event. Josephus said he was carried away, Herod, carried away and eaten up by worms, and that he was dead in five days, a repulsive, sickening death. Anybody that fights God is a fool because his power cannot be thwarted and his punishment is not going to be avoided. Lastly, God's purposes cannot be frustrated. Look at verse 24. God's purposes can't be frustrated. Verse 24 says all of that, those preceding 20-something verses, but the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark, so God's work goes on and on and on. Barnabas and Paul completed their work. Well, what was their work? If you remember, there's a famine, and in, in, in the church in Antioch, they sent Paul and Barnabas with an offering for the Jerusalem church to help them out with food. And so they completed that. They delivered the offering 
to the church in Jerusalem. They grab John Mark and they left heading back to Antioch. God's will will prevail. It will every single time. Every time. It reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 16, one of my most favorite kind of events in Scripture. Jesus asked Peter and the guys, who do people say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the living God. Jesus goes on a little bit later. He says, I will build my church. I will build my church. You realize y'all are who he built. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, if the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it, nothing or nobody will prevail. Y'all, we get, we know how this ends. We win. Period. We win. The gates of hell are not going to prevail. The church marches on. It marches on. So it kept growing and it kept multiplying because the progress of God's word could not, cannot, and will not be stopped. You should rest in that. Rest in that today. The progress of God's word, it cannot be stopped. The devil's going to try to stop it. He has been since the beginning. Men and governments are going to try to stop the progress of God's word. They're going to say, if you open the church, you go into jail. They're going to say, if you preach on the street corner, we're going to haul you off to jail. They're going to say, you write a book about Christian doctrine, that's hate speech, we're going to put you in jail. Nothing can stop the progress of God's word. They might persecute us. They might imprison us. They might kill those of us who proclaim God's word, but their efforts to silence the word of God will be fruitless. It'll be fruitless. God overrules all of that. The shackles snap his finger. The door opens because he opened the door. He's the great door opener. And he's the great door closer. He closes the doors that need to be closed. And he opens the one that need to be opened. Y'all, he has ordained that his word will be proclaimed. He's ordained it. And it will be by those who are truly his. Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, he said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, why is he not ashamed of the gospel? Because it is the power of God to save people. How can I not proclaim that? How can I not? If I know, if I know that I know that I know that somebody is not a follower of Christ and if they die, they are going to hell, how can I not share the gospel with them? I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not. I'm not condemning with it. I'm loving with it. We got to preach the truth, 100% truth with 100% compassion. Right? We don't need to be beating people up. We need to be loving them, letting them see Christ through us. And God, he's ordained that his word would be proclaimed. He's also ordained that his word will bear fruit. It will bear fruit to grow and to multiply, never to return to him void. Y'all, his power cannot be thwarted. His punishment cannot be avoided. His purposes cannot be frustrated. Those are truth claims that Scripture makes. Scripture makes those claims. There's lots of ways. I want to give you two ways, at least two. 
that, that we can respond to this message in Acts chapter 12. I want you to rest in a couple of things. I want you to have peace in a couple of things. That there is no shackle that man can put on you. And sometimes we put shackles on ourselves, right? So whether you put the shackle on yourself or whether somebody puts it on you, there is not a shackle that when you accept the freedom that the Lord offers us, there is no shackle that can hold you captive. Nothing. I don't care what it is. I said it a little while ago. It could be depression, anxiety, busted up relationships, addiction to whatever. Those are all things that man puts on you. God can, and they're gone. Rest in that thought. And then I want you to rest in this, that the progress of his word, it cannot be stopped by anything or anybody. And I don't care if they're the president. I don't care who they are. Prime minister of this country, that country, your boss at work, I don't care. The progress of God's word cannot be stopped. His purposes will always be fulfilled. We talked about avoiding punishment. Said you can't avoid God's punishment. You can be pardoned though. Jesus took that punishment on. Think about that. That hellacious punishment for every single human that has ever lived or ever will live. He took that punishment on. That is a love that is unimaginable. It's not condemnation. For those that are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Y'all, so I want you to, I want you to rest in that. And the only way to rest in that, if you're not a, a, a Christ follower today, you can't really rest in that. If you are a Christ follower today, I want you to just rest in that, that he can bust any shackle that you got on. But, it, but if you're not a Christ follower, I want you to hear these words. He died for you. He took that punishment for you. And that freedom is offered to you today. All, it's a simple thing. It's a belief thing. I believe that he died on the cross, took the punishment that was mine to take, that he walked out of a grave three days later to provide eternal life for me. It's that simple, y'all. Repent, turn away from the sin, and believe that. Y'all pray with me. Lord, we could not be more grateful that you died for us. Lord, we acknowledge today that the punishment has got to be paid. And I can choose to pay it or I can choose to believe that you paid it for me. It's a no-brainer for me, Lord. Although it took 37 years for it to become a no-brainer for me, Lord. But Lord, that offer is out there. So Lord, I pray right now that there are people here watching 
online or sitting here that, 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 that don't know you, that they would come to know you. Lord, that they would just say these words right now. Lord, I believe you died on the cross to take care of my sin. Lord, I repent of it. And I believe that you walked out of the grave alive three days later. Lord, save me right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, y'all, I can't say it enough. And I just feel so burdened all week long to say this. And I know that we have struggles in life. Every one of us put me, dude, put me in the front of the line. I limp through life every day. But guys, that was not what it sounded like. Guys, rest in the thought, in the big picture, we win. We, we win. Are there little battles and we get beat up during life? Does life beat us up? Absolutely. But we win. He overcame the grave so that we can just wallow in that.